With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The next chapter with Prim's Ripapad is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, it's Prim. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Six Studios. Well, with the 2022 U.S. Open getting underway over in Flushing Meadows, I thought, what better time to bring on not just the tennis guest, but the person who's coaching and leading Serena Williams through what many believe will be her final U.S. Open. As many of you probably read in our thoughtfully composed essay in Vogue, the 23-time Grand Slam singles champion shared that she is, or what she calls, evolving from tennis to focus on her family and herself. Now, Eric Heckman, who has coached Serena's older sister, Venus, for a number of years now, was hired by Serena over the summer to coach her this year. And that's who I'm speaking with today. Now, Eric himself was a phenomenal athlete and phenomenal tennis player back in his day, and he still is. Although he didn't necessarily make his mark on the professional circuit, he played at University of Miami, where he was a two-time ACC champion and two-time Big East champion and three-time team captain. In fact, he still holds a school record for most all-time wins. And he's also served as a hitting partner for some of the best in the world. Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, as well as Venus and Serena Williams, obviously. Now, in full transparency, I've known E-Money, as I like to call him, (laughs) for a number of years now. He actually hired me to join his coaching staff back in the day when I was in Miami in between my television jobs. And that's where I was right before I got picked up by ESPN in 2011. A lot of people don't know that I was actually coaching tennis right before I joined the worldwide leader in sports. So in this upcoming conversation with Eric, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about his transition from tennis and what it was like to retire from the game and not too long after return to it. But as a coach, realizing that's where his passion lies in developing young players. And in addition to learning more about his personal journey, I was also curious what it's like to be coaching two of the greatest tennis players of all time these two trailblazers in Serena and Venus, and this essentially being the peak or highlight of his coaching career, where both his students are not only older than him, but he has been tasked with the job of coaching and guiding them as they exit the game of tennis and towards retirement. You know, because if you think about it, most coaches are hired with a goal of trying to help their students get on the up and up and achieving peak performance. But in this case... Eric has been hired to help both Serena and Venus navigate the final chapter of their careers as it comes to a close. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. And for all my listeners out there who are coaches or are interested in coaching, I think this conversation is for you and you're going to learn a lot from it. So without further ado, here's Eric Heckman. money how are you doing we were very professional here on the next chapter <laughs> good I, i'm doing well how are you doing I've, i don't think i've spoken to you on the phone since uh yeah for a long time since you became a mother yeah since i became a mother that's right and i think the last time you and i really really chatted was during the pandemic and i think you guys were headed to world team tennis and i was pinging you because i was like Dude, is this cool? Like, are we are we going to be safe? And you were, I think you were in a camper with Venus at that yeah. time, were you not? Yeah, I mean that that we should have recorded. We took an RV basically from Florida to West Virginia, then to DC, 
then to Kentucky, and then to New York City. So, how crazy. long? How long were you guys in that camper for, or that RV? I think it was three months. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, we got a really bond on that trip. So. <laughs> <laughs> And then you were also playing coach. And I think the thing that people in the tennis world understand, but people maybe that are kind of on the periphery of the tennis world, it's such an intimate relationship between student and coach because it's just, I don't know. I, I think it's so different from other sports where it's just you two and you travel all over the world, which means you're on trips anywhere from five hours at a time to 10 hours at a time. You do everything together. You eat dinner together. So while you're on that RV, you're probably kind of, you kind of exist probably as a coach, maybe sometimes as a mentor, a friend, an advisor, a peer, maybe the janitor cleaning the RV at times. I remember you mentioning. (laughs) Probably, Probably all of it, you know, um, Honestly, with Serena, it's a little different because she's got such a big team. So, yeah. you know, it's more you're just the coach. I mean, you're, you're a friend and everything like that. But um, but Venus's team, obviously, is much, much smaller. And on that trip, different. You can't go anywhere. So, Well, you made, made the transition easy, too, because, I mean, first of all, congratulations. I sent you a text. I mean, congrats on your success. I mean, now you're coaching both Serena and Venus. Uh, you know, I, I know you've been in the game for so long and I know you've been coaching for a really long time, but does it not kind of hit you at certain moments? You're like, oh my gosh, I'm coaching these two legends right now. Do you have those moments? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, for sure. You know, but, um, but honestly not, not that often cause you're just so busy. So, you know, and, um, there's, there's always something happening. And, you know, that you, you don't have that much downtime, at least, at least right now. I'm sure, I'm sure after this tournament, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll feel a little different, but right now it's, you know, just trying to get them ready each day, both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to focus a little bit on your transition from tennis, but I also want to spit it into your coaching career because it's almost like, I think with when you're a coach, in some ways, you don't really step away from the game. So it's this interesting dynamic. I feel like coaches who remain in the game, some of them have been able to process their retirement. Others haven't really said goodbye and they just kind of, you know, in a fluid manner, just kind of transition into the coaching phase. But just generally speaking, what was your process like of retiring and then getting into the coaching space? Yeah, I mean, for me, the second I stopped playing, I, I thought I was going to be completely done with tennis. So I, uh, I'd say for a year, at least a year, didn't touch a racket, didn't go near a court, I didn't follow results, and I went to law school. So, um, and then when I was there, you know, if you remember back, you know, a um, few few players at Ransom started coaching them, and they had reached out to me, and I missed it. You know, I miss tennis. I miss being outside. I miss the competitiveness. So started getting back into it. One thing led to another. And, you know, then I was at Royal Palm and kind of snowballed. Quit law school, you know, went straight into uh, directing uh, Royal Palm. And and one thing led to another, you know, so. So what, what were you, your plans were? heading into law school what were you gonna what kind of law were you interested in getting into i wasn't really interested in any law to be honest uh, so it was just kind of like okay you know this 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 is your next progression i mean I, I did study political science and accounting right so i'm more of a math person than i definitely am of a, a writer or a reader right i don't mind reading but not for hours so you know um so when i was in law school I would say I definitely didn't like it. Um, and it was good that I went to, to, to know I didn't want to do it. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so how I far mean, how far were you in to law school? A few months, uh, a year. I finished. I finished a year, and then you know, and then the summer basically came. And you know, a lot a lot of places summer slow for tennis, but in Miami, if you're coaching competitive players, which which I had started in the spring. Mm-hmm. 
it's busy, right? You got Calvin Mizzou, you got Clay Course, you got a bunch of ITFs going on. So kind of developed from there. And then kind of once the fall hit, that's when I had to make that choice. And I was like, I really don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. Now you, you spent some time, albeit not a long time, just trying to give the professional circuit a, a go. And you spent what, maybe six months or so? Roughly six. Yeah. Okay. Six. And what are your, what are your memories yeah, I mean, of that period? Uh, Look, obviously, if I can go back, I wish I would, right? Because I didn't have, uh, you know, the most coaching as a player growing up. And I probably learned a lot, actually, once I started coaching myself. So when I played, it was almost more of I had never really traveled outside of the United States all through my juniors and whatnot. So I went to Europe. I played a couple of tournaments in Australia. Why came back and the plan was always to start law school. Um in January. So mm. kind of went like that. I mean, I did all right, but I didn't give myself a real shot. You know, I didn't treat it like a lot of the pros that I know and see, et cetera. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Did you know at that time when you left the, your, your kind of like professional circuit attempt and heading into law school, did you have any inkling that you knew you hadn't given yourself a fair shot? Yes and no. I mean, to be honest, a lot of the people around me were saying, oh, you know, it's so hard to make it. Oh. Basically making uh, it almost like it's an impossible feat to become a pro, right? Which, which I think it happens to a lot of players in their environment, right? They've, they have their educated parents, they have their, you know, um, coaches around them and they tell them how low of a percentage it is, which, yeah, those probably are the facts and that's the truth, you know, but at the end of the day, if you're taught not to believe, you're not going to believe. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's probably one thing that I learned as a, uh, as a coach not to do, you know, if I really don't think a player has a chance at all, which you know, you do need some talent, right? And mm-hmm. you need some other factors. So if there's if there's a zero zero percenter, which there's some of them, but if there's a chance and that's their passion, you got to be all in, right? And, and go after it. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of my my process, and I learned as I started coaching. You know, hey, if I would have done this or that, you know, who who would who would have known? You know, how it could have gone. Uh, so that's, that's such an interesting perspective. And I, I really, I hear you on that. And so in the sense of, because you're a math guy and also when you're looking at just the percentages, even if there is a 1% shot, you've got to be all in. So if there's even a chance, uh, you are going to, from a coaching's perspective, learning from your own personal journey, you now are, are telling your students like, if there's a chance, and if you believe there's a chance, even if it's a small one, you have to be all in, not just like one foot in. Right, exactly. You know, and, and the hard part is, right, you might say it, but each player has their team. And, and, and like Venus's team isn't just me, right? She still has her mom. She still has her dad. She still has her sisters. So if your team, part of your team doesn't believe, right? Let's say you got, I don't know, so let's say somebody has six people on their team. and Three people believe. That means you're, you only have 50% belief. Let's say if you took it in school terms, that's an F, right? You're going to fail. You know, yeah. you need everybody around you to believe that there's a chance for the individual to believe, or you got to be smart enough and strong-willed enough to block out your immediate environment. You got to really be an individual in the sport, and it's truly an individual sport already as it is, right? So. Yeah, I'd say that's there's a lot of a lot of players where it's you know they're they're in that environment. It's not a bad environment, but it's not an environment to make it. Basically, is that is that to imply that if you have a team of people, you actually know the people that don't really believe in you? Does that actually really? I mean, of course, it, I, it makes sense that it would happen because it happens in companies mm-hmm. all the time. But does that happen in tennis? Absolutely. You know, I mean. Sometimes it's it's overt where somebody's telling you, you know, like, oh, well, you know, you're doing good, but 
the reality is, you know, you, you probably should go to school, you know, you should do this, you should do that, um, whatever it might be. And then you have the ones that are, let's say, um, you know, blunt about it. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, I think it's, uh, I think, I think that's the majority of not just tennis, but a lot of sports. Right. So, so, so here you are, uh, you know, walking away from your experience and you, you're now taking the things that you learned and what you didn't do during your personal journey, during your playing days. And now you're applying it to your coaching philosophy and, and the importance of belief and just of just being all in. So when, when were you all in, in terms of your coaching career? Because I think for tennis players, it's so easy to just kind of, you know what, this, I always have this to fall back on, but there's a difference between using it as a backup plan and then really making a career out of it. So when was that, when, when did that moment come? I'd say, honestly, the second I gave up on law school, I said, you know what, this is what I'm doing. And I, I was all in. I would, I think you remember some of it. I'd be out there 6 a.m. I'd be there till 9 p.m. on the court, go to the tournaments, you know, with the juniors. And my goal was always I wanted to develop those kids from young age and see how far I can push them and how good I can get them. And, and each, each student I had along the way, I think, helped me grow as a coach, right? Whether it was, whether it's a six-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, a guy, a girl, you got different personalities, different skill sets, natural skill sets. I'm talking about different mindsets. And the more experience you have dealing with those people, mm-hmm. you know, the better you're going to be as a coach. And for me, you know, granted, maybe I don't have as much experience in terms of years as maybe a coach that's, I don't know, 50 something years old, but let's say over the last 13 years, the amount of hours that I put in to the court, um, from being on the court and off the court, whether it's on the phone or at a tournament, et cetera, would put me at least in my fifties, I'd say. So, you know, I'd say I was definitely all in, right. All the time, you know, and, and my wife would even say like, you know, you got to stop, stop thinking about it. You got to disconnect. But I think part of being all in is it's, it's just part of you. It's, it's, there's, there's no disconnect because you don't want to. So. You, you've definitely, you are definitely all in. And from the years that you and I were working together, I mean, you were, yeah, I mean, you'd show up bright and early before the rest of us got there on the uh, uh, humid, hot courts at Royal Palm. And then by the time I left, you were still, <laughs> you were still out there. And like, it's not, and the, and it's not like you were just lobbing balls. Like you were grinding out there in a hundred degree weather with a, with a lot of your players. So what do you think is the difference between coaches that happen to fall into it rather than really choosing, I want to coach, if that makes sense? Because there are some players as they transition out of sport, it's just, you know, it's just kind of an easy thing that I like, you know what, I, 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 this is what I want to do, but they don't really like choose to pursue it and become a really good coach. So what do you think is the difference? Um, I read an article the other day about people that have jobs, right? And um, and some people, you know, they hate their job. They've been demoralized, let's say, by management and leadership, and they just end up just showing up to work, right? And they keep showing up because it's their paycheck. Maybe it's, it's tough for them to match that paycheck and get a different job. So to kind of translate that over, I do think there's maybe a lot of tennis players, maybe they don't have the education. You know, they feel like there's nothing else that they can really do. They can earn them the money that coaching tennis could because tennis is a unique sport in the sense that, yeah, maybe if you're 200 in the world, you can't make a great living, but you could probably be the 200th best coach in Miami, right? And Mm. make a decent living. You could show up, you could, could show a good face, maybe not give the best effort and punch out a few lessons, right? And, and come home with a better living than you would doing another job and having to work more hours. So I think that that example, and it's not all of them, but definitely some players that end up becoming coaches, they're kind of stuck in that uh, equilibrium where that's why, you know, like you've got an incredible skill set where you can do multiple different things. So you can pick what you want to do, right? And what mm-hmm. you're passionate about doing. Unfortunately, not everybody has prepared themselves to be in that situation. And I think that's what Got happens it. to a lot of players. 
And got it. And because you have prepared yourself, even if tennis was a huge part of your junior career and growing up and also at University of Miami, but you had given yourself all those other options and you had gone to law school and, and probably seen, explored a little bit. And so it became a choice rather than out of necessity in many yeah. ways because yeah. you were choosing exactly. to do that. Right. So in my situation right now, it's a choice. And if I get to the point where I'm just showing up, uh-huh. It's a job. I'm like, man, like I really don't want to be here today. I don't want to be on the court. I won't be in tennis anymore. I'm going to go do something else. Right. So, um, you know, I, I tell myself that and, you know, that I'm not saying that that day might come. Right. You never know. Right. Because people, I'd say people sometimes don't change, but they do change. Right. You know, so mm-hmm. it could happen. But just, as long as it's, it's definitely not happening anytime soon. So I'd say that. So when you were starting to coach, you started out in, in juniors, as everybody does. But did you have an idea of whether or not you wanted to work with juniors and eventually work your way up and working with the pros? Because you were exposed to it, at least, you know, from a uh, at least a player and also training perspective. You serve you've served as a hitting partner for some of the best, including the Williams sisters many, many years ago, but also Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer. Did you also hit with uh, Andy Murray too at some points? Time and time again, he would stop in and play at UN mostly with Danny, but um, you know, but yeah, sometimes. So, so what was the goal? Did you eventually want to work with uh, pros and, and travel the circuit or did you have your eye on working with juniors really? Um, from, from a, it's hard to, there, there are some things that are really enjoyable about, being at the pro level, obviously the level of play, the excitement of the crowd, stadiums, etc. But as far as just like the pure joy of coaching, coaching juniors is the best just because, you know, they're, they're learning and they're changing and you're changing everything from technique to mindset, to physicality, you know, to essentially you could change their whole life, right? Um, whether they're in tennis or not, you know, like I, I have, students when I come back in town that they don't play tennis anymore, but they still want to test tennis us and almost just talk. Right. So, you know, there's, uh, there's that aspect to it that I, I truly really enjoy about, uh, the junior side of things. I could, I could really understand that. It's almost as if, uh, at the pro level, you're kind of, in some ways you're, you're doing a lot of fine tuning, but sometimes a lot of it is just being a manager and maintenance. There's not as, um, you know, there's not as you don't have as much of an impact in terms of just at not only athletically and strategically and technically, but also on a foundational and per- personal perspective, right? Because at it, the junior level, you can really shape somebody. The juniors for sure more, and it and I'd say it depends on the pros and talk to other coaches and seen other players, right? So if I were to coach another pro, I really take my time and think about it. Um, before committing to a player because you got to be able to connect to them. You got to know that you can get through. And, and like I said, that if I did take on a pro that oh, they're that good and I don't think I can connect with them, I'm going to lose my job enjoyment and I wouldn't, won't be in tennis after that, you know? Um, so that's, uh, that's the tricky part I'd say in the pro game. If you're coaching a junior and you don't connect, you can say, you know what? It's not working out and mm. no big deal. Coaching a pro to be on the other side of the world in Australia. It's, it's a different, uh, a different dynamic there, yeah, for sure. It is. It is. It's also really hard the the traveling aspect of it. I think a lot of pros, but also the coaches, also talk about that, and especially ones that have a family. You know, you've got three little mm-hmm. ones and married, Absolutely. and so I mean, you're on the road. I don't know what ten months out of the year, probably eight to nine months at least. Depends on the pro. I mean, I'd say that's the good thing with these girls is we're definitely not on the road that much. I'd say definitely never even six that um, so far that I've been with them. But you know, it, other ones, I'd say yeah, it's ten. You know, and a lot of times it's straight. There's no break. You know, mm-hmm. go from Australia to the Middle East, the Middle East, California. You know, I live in Miami, so then you get a little break, but then Europe's straight if you're playing all the events, which most of them do. Can't blame them. That's that's the job, right? So mm-hmm. so the last time you and I were really on the court together was 2011. 
at Royal Palm. And one of my memories is that when I was, I was working with Julie Steven at the time who was work, over at Ransom and she's a big name of, and down in Miami too. And I was, we, you and I were talking and I came to try out and you interviewed me, but you also had me do what, I forget the name of that drill, but you had me play with your players. It was some game. What's it called? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, um, they call it fun game. Yeah. It's <laughs> with, with, you have the quick hands. Uh, and yes. That, yeah. Yeah. There's just a ton of running. And at that point. I don't think you knew. I hadn't told anybody what what I was doing, or maybe some people knew. But I had I was a sports reporter and anchor at CBS at the time, and then I got laid off, so I was like in between jobs and coaching. So at that point in my life, I had really not played a ton. I mean, I, I was coaching you know, with Julie and all that. But then, and then it was also a, a club where you had to wear all white. So then I had to go, and you made me go into the the um tennis shop and then I had to wear this oversized skirt which you know I was just like I look like an idiot right now and then he's gonna make me do this drill unfortunately I didn't realize (laughs) (laughs) I was like my god but I got the job so that was fun but you you had a really it was such a and I'm not just saying this it was such a fun such a fun experience working with your crew and you, you had a really good group of students. I mean, you had, I would say, about 30 to 35, but you had five ranked in the top 20 in the country. Yeah. Uh, so that was, a, that was a great group. That was, that was probably one of that time period was definitely one of, I'd say it was the most fun I've had coached for sure. Um, it was so much fun. It was just, just a good group of kids, good coaching staff. We had fun. People worked hard. People listened. Just a, an amazing time, and so that was my that was my last experience of, of being in the court as a as a coach. And so you were you were a huge part of that. But I don't really know like how did it go from there, and then to Venus, and then to Serena. I know that's like ten whittling ten years or eight years roughly, and breaking it down. But how did you get to that point? Yeah, I mean, I'd say with, I'd say with Venus over even from then. I was going up there and I'd hit with her and I'd hit with her and, uh, in, in West Palm and Palm beach gardens. And now she's in Jupiter, but you know, year after year, it'd be the off season. And I would, I still remember I'd drive up practice at 9am or 7am or 8am, whichever one it is play. And I'd come back down and I'd bust out like six hours with those boys. Right. So I was, you know, cranking, but, um, but yeah, in 2019, she, uh, she calls me and, you know, she, uh, I guess she, she was moving on from her, her coaching staff and she was like, Hey, you want to go to, uh, Indian Wells with me? And so, you know, I'm, I'm slammed and I just, just had my first kid and I'm like, ah, you know, should I do this? Right. You know, should I, my wife, and my son, I'm like, this is my next step though. Yeah. I got it. Got to go. You know, so didn't know what it was going to turn into. If it was going to be one tournament, two tournaments, more. Yeah. Ended up going to Indian Wells, did Miami. Um, it was, and, and, I, and obviously I thought I had a good experience and she had a good experience and kind of went from there. I didn't end up going to Europe that year, um, but did the whole U.S. swing. And there it is, right? So still there. What do you think? It is, or it was, and continues to be with that relationship that works. Personality, I mean, chemistry. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of different things. I mean, pers- like Venus, like me, is a little bit of like uh, super into like all the aspects of tennis, from the technicals to the physicals to anything you can grasp to improve or change, etc. And then personality too. I mean, you know, I'm pretty straightforward. And, um, I think she appreciates, appreciates that. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm not on her all the time, um, yeah. about whatever it might be. Right. So, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's a good personal connection, uh, mm-hmm. between me and her. We, we get along great. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I'd say whenever, whenever she leaves the game, I'd say, uh, we're still going to have a great connection. Um, 
after as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I think the thing that is great about your vibe and and I think it would work for people. I think it would work for most players unless it's a player that really needs that kind of in your face, loud, verbal kind yeah, of um being super me. driven but yeah <laughs> that's not you like you are you work well with people that need that sense of peace and calm like you're not going to get too high and not too low and i think that's why it was it was easy it was really easy at least as a you know fellow coach to work with you because it's, you just keep it straightforward and keep it chill like there's no there's really no drama with that so i would imagine especially at that stage um you know in their careers with venus and serena they need somebody who's going to be Keep it really chill. Keep it really straightforward, and and keep it easy in many ways. But correct me yeah, if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, your headspace. In my opinion, your headspace. There's just so much going on. There's no reason to make the headspace harder than it needs to be, right? Um, so, you know, the, the in your face type of coach. It's it's a short term way of coaching, right? Like it's almost like injecting yourself with adrenaline, right? Like yeah, you mm. might. You might get hyped up for a couple hours, which, you know, in coaching terms, that could be a three month, six months, maybe a little longer. But once once it hits that wall, once once the adrenaline wears off, it's it's a straight crash. And you know, that's why you see sometimes a couple of players will have a great year, two great years, maybe a couple of great months, and then all of a sudden, poof, they're gone. You know, mm. they they don't exist in the game. And I and I know their dad well and their mom well. And, you know, they have their moments where they're intense, just like me, but overall it's calm voice, right? Like you got to want to be there. And if you don't want to be there then don't be there, you know, it's mm -hmm. no, nobody's, nobody's forcing that at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about your journey and I'm curious to hear in your own words, how you're processing it, but to the outsider, it might seem like, holy cow, this might be the peak or the pinnacle of your coaching career to be alongside these two legends in the game, arguably the best players on both sides, men and women, you know, or one of the best, no question. But then you're coaching them as they are on their way out and leaving the game. So I'm curious about how, how you're processing all of that, your own coaching and personal journey and where they are in their stage of the, their careers. Yeah. I mean, that's, look, you walk into the practice, you walk into a match and it's just, the atmosphere is crazy right now, you know? And, and that's the cool part. But if I, I step into a practice, I'm not treating it like, Oh my gosh, you know, we got one more practice and there's 14 days left and this could be blah, blah, blah. I, you know, I don't, I don't process it like that and, you know, never have. So I, I don't never act in a panic or in, in that fashion. And, you know, what, what's going through their minds as, as it comes to a close, who knows? But at the end of the day, what I, what I do tell them both is they've accomplished so much and so many great things that they don't have to accomplish anything more. So if they go out there and, you know, they're, they give it their all. They prepare the best that they can and they enjoy it. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's going to go well, right? It's different when you're 18 years old, you're 19 years old, you know, you're coming in with all these expectations and playing with that sort of pressure. I feel like that's harder than this would be, but it's all about perspective, right? If they're looking at it like, yeah. oh my God, this is my last match in New York. It could be, I'm not going to get another shot at this. Yeah. I mean, that pressure mounts up, but if you look at this, I've had so many unbelievable matches here. I'm going to enjoy this because I don't even need another one, but I want to play another. One, right. So I think it's, again, that's why I say it's all about perspective that you take, you know? So they're still here because they want to be here. And, mm -hmm. you know, I know Serena announced what she did, but, you know, I like how she put it out there that there's no, that she's not calling it retirement, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, you've seen so many different athletes come back from Brady to Jordan. And you never know, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, most likely it's the closing of a door, you know, at, at that age. And tennis is such an individual sport where you can't 
manage your minutes or manage how many games you play, et cetera. But there's no, there's no door that's closed. I'd say um, with somebody who loves the game and is passionate about it and has accomplished the things that both of them have. So, so it's kind of uh, the frame or the perspective of the glass half full rather than the glass half empty. And I'm curious if you draw in from your experience when you were playing in the pros and recognizing if there's a chance, if there's any chance, just leaving leaving open the to the possibility that anything can really happen. And I'm trying to kind of draw the connections between the two because that seems to be the the theme when you talk about maybe when you were in the circuit and also now when you're coaching the sisters, is that you're just leaving the open open to the possibility that anything anything can and could happen sports right i mean that's why that's why that stadium's full anything can happen at any moment at any time something get hurt on the first point it's over you know you could have the most unexpected winner you just stop born a court win uh cincinnati you know so you never know it's sports all you can do is prepare for it and if you go out there with that and again perspective which i didn't have when i played um the possibilities are endless. So it's about just channeling your mind in that right frame. Mm -hmm. And not letting other people dictate the narrative and allowing the possibility and having the freedom for the narrative to be kind of created in its own way, however it's going to be shaped. And I think that's, that's what I loved. I don't know if she intended it to be this way, but the fact that Serena wrote in her own words I've kind of mentioned to other people, they, they've, they've asked me about my thoughts about her essay. And I thought it was so smart because in a day, in an age, especially with social media, where people have, everybody has an opinion about everybody these days, especially for somebody like Serena. But I think writing in her own words gave her more control over her story and her narrative and how she's viewing this stage in her life. And I just thought that was that was really cool whether or not she intended it to be that way. So I'm curious about what you think. I do think she intended it to be that way, you know, and I, I, I agree with you and there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Um, and today's days and day and age, it's, it's harder than I think it ever has been with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I mean, you know, you lose one point, right. And you got millions of people talking about how it's over and this and that. And then you win the next point and, you know, the narrative changes, but she wrote her own narrative. So, you know, I'd say from the outsiders, it's, it's great. But then there's also the players who have never even said one word. Right. And I appreciate that as well, just because it's, Hey, I, I know what I believe. I believe in myself and I don't need to tell you anything. Right. Mm. So I kind of like both, honestly, you know, and I, like we've talked about from the beginning, Every athlete is different. Every personality is different. And that, that essay is serene, right? So I think it's great. So how does, your, how does your coaching philosophy and approach change when you're just working with juniors and you know that you're probably playing a more uh, a, a bigger role in, in shaping who they are technically, strategically, player-wise, physically? And then when you're dealing with two veterans who have, you know, who are also older than you, you know, and, and it's, it's just a different, it's just a different mindset. So how does your philosophy and approach change? Uh, definitely changes, you know, so you got to know the age, you got to know the personality, you got to know, you got to know how you're going to get through and connect into their mind and how you can help. Right. Because just saying whatever could come to your mind about a forehand or a backhand or their movement from any level isn't necessarily effective because you can only process so much information in such a short period of time. And it's not like school where you can kind of write something down and read it and think about it and memorize it. It's a sport. It's happening fast in, in split seconds. Right. So you've got to be calculated in what you say and you got to make sure that whatever you say resonates and makes a positive difference. Because if you say something that resonates and makes a positive difference, and then you say something that doesn't matter, and then you say something that could be detrimental, you don't know what that player is going to pick up out of the three, right? So a coach has to think quick and 
kind of know the room before they walk into the room of what they're going to say, how they're going to say it, and when they're going to say it. So what is your role as, you know, you just joined uh, and started working with Serena, even though you've known her for many years, but, you know, she hired you as part of your team over the, over the summer. So how do you envision your role or what has she communicated to you about what she would like from you and, and expects from you as her coach? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm doing my best to structure practices. She's a very structured person, right? Um, similar to me like that. She's very competitive. Um, she brings an incredible amount of intensity to the court every single day, more than any player or athlete I've ever been around. A, a guy, girl, doesn't matter, right? Her, her intensity is incredible. So my approach to her is more I'm trying to calm her, trying to keep her healthy, right? And uh, trying to maximize her strengths while minimizing her weaknesses, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of my role right there. And in today's game, there's so much technology to help her build strategy before each opponent she plays and prepare her the best that I can without mm-hmm. overdoing the information at the same time. Right. So yeah. with her, that's, that's kind of how it is, you know, a more low key player. I might be trying to poke and prod them to, you know, wake up the tiger inside of them essentially, but not, not her. Yeah. I would imagine not either one of them. I don't, you don't need to- poke the tiger in either one of them. They've no. they got it. They got <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> if anything, you probably need to harness it a little bit and, and really recognize like, okay, this is when you can use it. This is when you want to um, stir the tiger. This is when you want to um, settle it down a little bit and play and play smart. Absolutely. You know, so mm-hmm. that's, that's what I've been trying to do. And, you know, and we'll see, hopefully, uh, Hopefully New York treats us well and it's been going well so far and we got, you know, less than a week left before, before the stage curtain opens. Right. So see. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was uh, milling around on social media and I saw there was a clip of her and her entire team. uh, And you were, you were there. I mean, it's just, um, the U S open has always been for those who haven't been there, but it's, it's, I would say it's one of the most electric tournaments during the year. I think just because of the nature of being in and around New York City, it just has, it's loud. It's, uh, there's always music playing. There's just it a certain is. energy, it's, it's right? Absolutely, it's absolutely the most electric tournament, you know, um, from, a, from an energy perspective, right? So I, I like it. It's not, it's not my persona. But I definitely, <laughs> I definitely like it for, for the couple of weeks that I'm here, you know, wouldn't like how, that all the time. How, how big is our team? Like how many people does she have on our team? Deep. Um, you know, and she has other people that aren't on the tennis court too. So, but right. you know, at the same time, you, you got to, uh, you got to understand that and, and respect it just because as, as you get stronger and better in whatever sport you're doing, you know, to increase your longevity, it's, it's investing into yourself and um, mm-hmm. trying to make your life easier. And, and, and that's clearly what she does. You know, Venus on the other hand has a very small team, but Venus likes her space. She likes her intimacy with just a few people. And um, every, like I said, every, they, they are very different. You know, they're not, they're definitely not the same. So they're doing, what works best for themselves, you know, and that's tennis. So. Yeah. I, I interviewed Andy Roddick uh, a few years ago um, and he retired at the U S open at 30 years old. I think that was around 2012. And so we've, we've often talked about that moment. His situation is definitely a little different, very unlike most other athletes where he literally woke up one morning and was like, that's it. I'm done. I can't handle it. And he rode off into the sunset and he felt a weight off his shoulders. I think his situation again is really unique, but what do you think is really important? I guess the question might be twofold. What's, what do you think is important for Serena and Venus or maybe Serena, assuming this might be her, you know, it's probably her last U S open. 
But what do you think is important for her and or other players that are playing in their final tournament? Man, I, that's, that's a good question. But um, <laughs> I, I think at the end of the day, right, it's their performers, right? They put on a good performance, right? I think that's probably, you know, at the forefront of what's probably most important for them. You know, obviously you want to win every match and win the tournament, but going out there and having a, having a strong performance, playing well, you know, bringing the energy, et cetera. I think that's, that's gotta be number one, right? Because that's your last moment, right? As a, as a professional athlete. So Mm -hmm. if I had to pick, I'd say that, but I, but again, everyone's different. It could, it could be a different, uh, meaning to each person. Right. So. Do you remember your last moment or match or tournament? Um, I do. I remember, well, you know, the, the tricky thing was like, I'd still play tournaments as I was coaching. Right. So, um, so I remember my last tournament before I went to law school, you know, but I would, I would say that wasn't really my last turn. You know, I played probably over a hundred tournaments since I started coaching. So. That is interesting to think because it's almost as if you didn't really, you, you obviously said goodbye to the game as a collegiate player, but you're still playing in some capacity and you're still involved with it. It's almost as if for players at the professional level who are playing at Grand Slams like Serena and Venus, it almost feels a little bit more finite where it, the, the cliff that they walk off of is so much bigger than mm-hmm. college players like you and I, because we can just like float in and out of the scene where for them, it's like, once you're not there at the U S open, that is it. Even if they continue playing exhibition masters to everybody else, it's just like, Oh, you're really done. So I never really thought about it from that perspective. Yeah. No, I mean, with, at, once, once you get to the pinnacle of any sport, whether it's tennis or NBA, like Jordan going out in the NBA finals, it's just different. You're at the pinnacle. It's not like you're going to go out there and play a, a men's open or, you know, some like lower level pro tournament where you can compete. You walk out of the U S open. That's, you're not going to go play one of those. That's it. You're not competing. It's, it's an all or nothing type of thing. There's no gray area involved there. So, yeah, I mean, I'd say it's, I, I haven't been in that situation, but I can only imagine it's definitely much, much tougher. No doubt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, how do you how do you process goodbyes? I know this is I'm I'm going to bring it around, but just on a general and personal level, how do you process goodbyes or endings? Um, just depends on the nature of the goodbye, right? So, uh, you know, in sport, right, you you're performing, but to one extent, there's no at a personal level, there might not be a goodbye, right? Like so. For me with the girls, maybe there's not a goodbye. But for those fans out there, there is a goodbye. So it's just uh, it's just different in its perspective. So when they walk out there, they've got to have that perspective that, hey, you know, these fans are part of me and part of who I am and part of who I am as a professional. And, you know, this is my goodbye to them. They're still going to know me. They're still going to follow me and right be a part of my life but definitely in in a different fashion it's almost like uh it's almost like breaking up with a girlfriend you know mm-hmm. it's like they're gonna those fans are are still going to appreciate those players just like you know jordan was one of my favorite athletes as a player you know but then you move on like a Dwayne wade or whoever else might be the next current thing out there so they're gonna like somebody else whether it's coco golf or whoever else might be the next big up-and-comer and athletic and powerful etc and everything that they brought to the game so that's that's the tough part knowing that the fans who are such a big part of your life you're moving on from them and they're probably also going to be moving on from you at some point too so hmm. yeah that's such an insightful uh perspective and one that has been described differently from other athletes in the way that when other athletes 
particularly in, in football and basketball, they've talked about their relationship with fans and fame and and being a public figure uh, as a more, in some ways, negative experience, because I think I think there's also a lot of criticism. And so I don't know if the relationship with fans in tennis, I feel it's much more intimate. It's it's um, there's a there's a different dynamic. But nonetheless, I mean, listen, the Williams sisters have already have have experienced their fair share of, of obstacles, clearly. Both, you right. Know. Yeah. Like there's negatives yeah. and positives and it's come full sort full circle. And they've been at tournaments where people have booed them, maybe undeservingly. Mm-hmm. They've handled themselves properly, and I, I definitely think there's not going to be one person that's not going to be fully in their corner supporting them, right? So, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it's it's all perspective. How you see the fans, how you interact. You take a negative approach, it's going to get worse. It's exponential. Take positive approach, right? It's going to go that way as well. So, you know, the fans are going to be in their corner, but. Um, Part, the biggest part for an athlete, I think, is being relevant too, right? It's not just yeah. playing the sport, right? It's the relevancy, you know? Jordan, I guess, is one athlete that's all, always relevant, but it's not like he's as relevant as he used to be when he was playing, right? And that's just par for the course. LeBron's super relevant right now. When he decides to retire, is everyone, let's say five years after his retirement, is everyone going to continue to talk about LeBron? I don't know. And the same thing's going to be true for Serena, Venus, et cetera. But you only have a certain amount of time on this earth. And to be to be fair, to have the length of the career that they had, the relevancy yeah. and time, it's awesome. You know, so you, you can't ask for much more than what they did. And they deserve it, right? They earned that. They earned all of that time that they have. Yeah. Uh, do you share that, that, uh, perspective about really seeing the opportunity and having that uh, half glass full in the sense of, you know, because when you were talking about how you say goodbye, I think the thing that I took away from it was, is that uh, saying goodbye doesn't necessarily have to be this binary experience where it's like, you just completely shut the door and that's it. And maybe that's why Serena described her uh, experience in terms of retirement saying she's going to evolve from tennis and that she's not necessarily saying goodbye to tennis. She's just saying goodbye to some parts of it. And you can still maintain that relationship. As you mentioned, like mm-hmm. you're not saying goodbye to Serena and Venus altogether. You're saying goodbye to them eventually as tennis players, but as friends, as peers, as lifelong friends, I mean, you're not saying goodbye to that part. And so that's that's something that I had never really thought of. So you're saying just goodbye to some parts, but not all of it. Yeah, exactly. And then people who don't know them, right, it's tougher for them because that is their goodbye, you know. They're, mm-hmm. They feel like they have that intimate relationship with them because they're playing, right? And they're just experiencing that match, right, as a coach and friend, et cetera. You're experiencing a day-by-day thing, them at dinner, them in the morning, right? You know, conversations with them that aren't even about tennis. So the second they lose that match or win that match or whatever might happen, those people who are close mm-hmm. to them, yeah, they're not playing tennis anymore, but nothing else changed, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're still there as people. So, yeah, I think that's, I think retirement is hard on the athlete, but it's also hard on the fans. And the athletes that I feel like truly do appreciate and love their fans, that's how retirement becomes that difficult, right? Because those people, that's their only relationship with those people. So obviously for Serena, Venus, you know, any other athlete who's got that sort of appreciation is going to be tough. The athletes that say how much they dislike the fans and this Mm -hmm. and that, I don't think retirement is tough for them. I think it's almost like a... Mm -hmm. Fresh of fresh air, breath of fresh air for them to, yeah. to move on and and, uh, and not be not be a part of that scene anymore. So again, yeah. perspective on it, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. The type of relationship they have with with being a public figure, with being an ambassador for the game, or their relationship with the fans undoubtedly influences how how they're going to leave the game and how they feel about retirement. Yeah, that's that's a really good perspective. Have you thought about or have you talked to them about and shared 
your experience in and around retirement, whether it's your experience or other people's experiences and what they could take away from that. And I know, and I know your retirement was so deeply different, but, but nonetheless, it's, um, you know, it could be your role as an advisor and also a coach, but have you guys touched on that or have you thought about it? Not necessarily retirement, but I've touched on different things that we've talked about as far as perspective of life, et cetera, because I think having that perspective and having the people around them give them other perspectives helps them find their perspective and focus on their perspective and, you know, answer some of those questions that might keep them up at night or make them think about what's next and what's not and, and put their mind at ease. And I think and I think having those answers and having the right people around you to help you find those answers will make the retirement that much easier. Mm-hmm. So. What do you think you wish you would have known? Or what would you tell your 22 or 23-year-old self? Yeah, I mean, I wish I would have known more about tennis like I know it. I mean, not as much anymore, but when I was younger, I was a really strong athlete and, you know, basically survived off of competitiveness and athleticism, you know, um, learn more about the technical side of things, how you can use equipment to help you, et cetera. So, and, you know, how almost anybody could make it right. Like if they're have that passion and they're all in. So I would tell myself all of those things. And I would tell mm-hmm. myself to ignore anybody else who told me otherwise and say, okay, you might be family friend or an advisor to me, but you're not in, in this regard of my life. And we're not going to talk about it. And just to not even not let them speak so much, just not let them have a voice in, in, mm. in your head. Right. So, um, yeah, I definitely would have, would have done that, but would have, should have, and could have. But at the end of the day, I, I take it as I learned from those mistakes and call them mistakes, you know, can't, can't blame myself for it because I didn't, I didn't know better at that stage. Sure. Right. So I didn't come from an athletic background. So. Yeah, I think, you know, and I, I, I touch on these things with all of my guests because it's less about highlighting our regrets or mistakes, but I mean, that's how we're all going to learn. We're constantly, we're never going to stop making mistakes, you know? And, and I think that's the gift of having a dialogue and discussion is because we can learn from each other's mistakes. And I know there's so many, there's so many young athletes and also sports parents and coaches who are listening to this conversation. And so I think that's such an interesting thing to think about how one person's voice might be really significant and impactful and, and valuable in one area of your life. But then when it comes to another area, it there it may not hold as much weight or importance, I guess. Absolutely. There's, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. And you can't, uh, you got to be picky with who you let into your life, right? Because if you let in people who are going to sway you in a way that maybe you don't want to be swayed, you know, it could take you down a path you don't want to go. So mm-hmm. important. Do you feel as though uh, your coaching career is, do you feel you get more out of it and have reached greater heights compared to your playing days? Which I know is a lot to say because you're, a, you're an awesome player at Miami and you know, two-time ACC champ and, you know, um, and you're just like, a crazily gifted athlete. So, but you know, when you, but, but your tennis career has kind of never stopped. So I'm curious how you see your coaching career and your playing careers. If, if one yeah. trumps the other. It's an interesting way. I mean, I definitely like playing better than anything else. Right. So I would say that from an enjoyment standpoint, right. You know, let's say you put money aside, job, et cetera. I would be like them. I would play till I literally, couldn't play. I would want to keep going. Right. Um, you know, but as far as accomplishing, I'm very competitive. So, um, yeah, I think I definitely have accomplished more in coaching and I have a passion for it. Like I do for playing, you know? So I think that's my best way of saying it. So probably accomplishing more in coaching, enjoying more playing for me. Yes, that makes sense. And I ask that because only recently have I started reflecting on 
uh, my, my own trajectory in the sense of hopefully this makes sense. I'm going to try to distill it down, but I've looked at my life as like different chapters. So I have my tennis career, I have my broadcasting career, and now I'm kind of moving into the PhD, like mental health space. And, uh, it's something that I actually touched on with my therapist recently, where it's like the same, I seem to gravitate or fall into the same environments. And there's not, there's, or I associate, there's a lot of similarities between my tennis personality, who I was, how I approach things in tennis and at Duke and ESPN and broadcasting. And then now what I'm doing now. And so now I'm starting to look at things as like a continuum where it's like, oh, I made these mistakes as my tennis career. And now, like several decades later, I'm actually changing them. And my my championship is like I'm putting myself in the position to reach my championship, if that makes sense. So if we're putting it in your contacts that and journey, sense. like your championship and the mistakes and the lessons that you learn from your playing career are actually allowing you to achieve the championship level and the peak of your life. And they're all connected. They're not different. They're not separate experiences. Does that make sense? Of course, you know, and, and you, you just said it very well for yourself, right? I'm, I'm sure for you, you probably love playing more than you even love what you're doing now. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, you do love what you're doing now and it's, and it's, yeah. and it's the next phase and, you're competitive as a, as an athlete as well, and you want to be the best at what you're doing. So as you keep moving through phases, right, you want to accomplish more, you want to do better, and you know you've got that innate competitiveness inside of you. And I think that's that's why you see a lot of athletes not just excel on the court, but off the court. They might not like what they're doing in that next chapter as much, mm. but they're going to excel in it because they always want to be competing, right? You know. So I might not yeah. have an opponent in front of me, but I'm competing against other individuals in my industry, right? You know, and I mm -hmm. and I want to be the best. So, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you do as well. So, always, even from yeah. that very first day that you put me through that nasty drill mm -hmm. and made me play with the rest of your kids in that oversized tennis skirt that was very embarrassing. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of wrapping it up. What do you? Two parts. What do you what do you hope for Venus and Serena, especially Serena, especially if this is her last U.S. Open? What is your gift to her? Yeah, I mean, look, I hope I found her help both of them find their perspective, happiness at uh, at the closing stages of their playing career that can help them transition into greatness into what they're doing next. They've already started what they're doing next, right? Both, mm -hmm. right, but. You know, as a coach, I hope this helps them. We'll see in New York perform well um, and give them a great performance and lead into their next chapters, just like I'm sure you've had different individuals that might have helped you move from playing, to coaching, you know, the broadcasting to the, the space you're in now, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, there, I feel like there's always somebody or something, right, that uh, that's that boom, you know, helps you get there. Right. And so, yeah. uh, I'm hoping that I'm, I'm that link for them, whether I am or I'm not, I'm, I'm giving it all I got to, to get them there. So kind of being the link, the bridge, the person that's mm -hmm. able to take them from one place to the other when, mm -hmm. and that transition, whatever it is that, that is really difficult for a lot of people. This is going to be kind of a, weird question maybe, but what do you think you, what do you hope for yourself? And I, and I want you to ask it in a way where it's, it's weird to ask a coach like, Hey, what do you want for yourself? Cause your job isn't to think about yourself, but this is kind of, this is such a momentous occasion, whether it's this tournament or over the next couple of years, whatever it is, but for yourself, who's put in all this hard work and you think about those 15 hour days and how far you came, you know, since the moment you started at Royal Palm, what do you think you want for yourself? I mean, that's a short, easy answer. I want to win. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, to be honest, that's, that's what I want. Right. Um, I want to go out there and 
I want to win championships, right? So that's what I, that's what I want. And I'm doing everything I can to get there, you know, mm -hmm. and to get my, my horses ready to be fine tuned and see what happens. So hopefully it happens here, but every time I step out there with an athlete or myself, right, it's, uh, I want to win that last point. So, and not winning well, that last point is, is, is a tough feeling for all of us, yeah. right? So. Well, it happens to most people. There's really yeah. only one person where that can walk away winning that last point. So, Absolutely. so, <laughs> well, E-Money, it's been, it's been awesome just watching you uh, grow and progress over the years and getting to this point and you're heading into the 2022 US Open. So it's just a real experience, but man, it's been, it's been really good to, to watch you on your rise. But, um, you know, tell, tell your family, your wife, your your three crazy kids. I say hi. So crazy. That is so <laughs> you, crazy. You, you too. You know, I mean, we got, we got one less though. We've got one less and, and with two, it feels like five. So I can't imagine what three feels like. It must feel like the Brady Bunch, honestly. Yeah. But, but. look at, look at, look at all you're doing, you know, from school, <laughs> motherhood. I mean, it's amazing, you know? So, you know, look, it's, that's just who we are, right? You know, and that's what that's what a lot, a lot of a lot of athletes are. So, woo, for better or for worse, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, Emeni, it was awesome catching up. I wish you the best of luck. We're all going to be watching, and um, have a good time and good ride out there. Thank you. Good luck to you too. Really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. For more episodes, just visit our homepage on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And to watch the full version of these interviews, just head on over to YouTube and you can search for the next chapter with Prims Ripapet. Subscribe to us, like us, give us a star rating. We really appreciate you listening and, of course, showing your support. The next chapter with Prims Ripapet is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.